All right, guys. Well, good morning. Feel free to grab a seat if you would. Is that too loud? Is that overwhelming a little bit? What do you think? Is that too loud? Good. Man, well, I'm already encouraged. I was hoping for four or five, and so uh, this is a big win already. Mm. Let's start off with, with prayer. Psalm 62 starts with, For God alone, my soul waits in silence. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. So, Father in heaven, we, um, we, we sanctify this time together now. Lord, th- this is us um, presenting ourselves um, as a living sacrifice. Um, we, we want to wait for you. We want to meet with you. We don't want our lives to be swallowed up with distraction. But, but we struggle. We struggle. And so, Father, I, I pray that you would be um, pleased to meet us this morning in a, um, in a powerful way um, for some of us in a um, perhaps a trajectory-shifting way that, that even changes the, the texture of our home. Um, Father, you, you are fully aware of how um, incredibly um, ill-equipped I feel um, but I confess, I, I simply want to be helpful for my friends. And so I pray that you would use your word, you would use our discussion, you would use the Holy Spirit um, to make this time sacred and, and helpful. We don't want to lean on our own understanding. We, we want to hear your invitation for rest, for peace. And we want to taste and see that that is good and then just go about our lives in light of that. So help us now, in Christ's name, amen. I want to start off by reading a poem by Wendell Berry. And I have this clever app that lets me control ProPresenter. And so we'll see how this goes with the great experiment begin. It says... Once there was a man who filmed his vacation. He went flying down the river in his boat. I've already failed. Once there was a man who filmed his vacation. He went flying down the river in his boat. With his video camera to his eye, making a moving picture of the moving river, upon which his sleek boat moved swiftly toward the end of his vacation. He showed his vacation to his camera, which pictured it, preserving it forever. The rivers, the trees, the sky, the light, the bow of his rushing boat, behind which he stood with his camera, preserving his vacation 
even as he was having it. So that after he had had it, he would still have it. It would be there with a flick of a switch. There it would be, but he would not be in it. He would never be in it. I remember hearing this recited at, at Jekka. Um, I can't remember what class it was, but it landed. <laughs> I was absolutely haunted by this poem. I, I had never heard somebody put into such clear language the, a deep frustration I felt in myself and, and in about my reality. So confession, um, I, I've even stated it some of my prayer, but I, I've wanted to create this space as a pastor because I feel um, such a deep concern for the body of Christ um, concerning how we interact with technology. Um, I feel a deep burden, but I don't know exactly how to tackle it because it feels so big. And so just hear my heart here. I've been even flustered in preparation, what, what would be helpful. Um, but I, I, I feel it was Rather than wait until I feel like I'm an expert on it, let's just start the conversation because I am convinced this is the front line of the spiritual battle we're involved in as, as Christians. Um, and then Tim, Thursday, Tim Ferriss sent a, um, a lecture by a, by a guy, and he said, this might be a helpful resource. And it was the most brilliant 90 minutes on all of this that I'd ever heard, and I was kind of near the end of my preparation. And I'm like, I've completely approached this wrong. Um, so I'm going I'm to trust the process uh, uh, that the Lord maybe perhaps was helping me. Um, and there's a lot of scripture we'll get to, so I know that won't return void. But I'm also going to send the lecture uh, so you can hear that. Um, but I, 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 I do believe God's going to meet us in a special way today. And this is the pastor, pastoral burden that I feel um, as I've kind of thought through it. Um, I believe the ubiquity of digital technology is turning us into perpetual bystanders to a virtual reality and keeping us from being joyfully attentive to the real world where God's glory is actually present. Um, I believe that digital technology is eroding the infrastructure of our humanity. I believe it's eroding the infrastructure of our humanity. I read somewhere this week that in a few years, um, teens will know how to have the right emoji for every text, but they won't know what to do with their faces in front of other humans. That is true. It's, it's scary. Um, and I, I'm, not, I'm really not trying to be alarmist, but I really think it's a big issue. Eye contact, we, we really don't feel comfortable relating. And that's a problem when you're made in the image of a triune God that's based on relationship. And so again, I'm just trying to communicate that I, I really feel this is a big deal. Um, I got my slides a little bit out of whack here, but that's okay. Let me jump to this one. So I've named this time together, Recovering Selah. I'm saying yes to God by saying no to noise. So, so what is Selah? Well, Selah is a, a Hebrew word. It occurs 71 times in the Psalms and three times in Habakkuk. Now, there isn't certainty about what it t actually literally technically means, um, but the majority of op opinion is it is uh, an invitation to, to pause, to absorb what has just been sung. And so you'll see some beautiful, rich, glorious theology sung in a psalm, and then it'll say Selah. 
And that may have been a, a musical interlude where you think over what you just said, or perhaps it was a moment of silence. We, we don't know exactly. But we'll, what we do know, it was an invitation to, to pause. And um, so you know what I mean when I'm talking about Selah this morning. This is the definition I've come up with. Um, Selah is, is this the slide? Yeah. A default posture of holy attentiveness to life, to the glory of God in this moment. What I want for us is to be a people, what I believe God, who cares what I want for us, what I believe God is inviting us into is to become a people that don't default towards distraction, but towards Selah, towards a holy attentiveness to this moment and where God is at work in this moment. Um, another way to say it is I want to be a people who take 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 seriously. I'll read this in a second. I want us to be a people who take 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 seriously. And that says, and I'm already all messed up with my slides. I'm so sorry, guys. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And I just believe that when Paul wrote this, it meant something, not nothing. I mean, pray without ceasing. I, that is a Selah-oriented life. It, it's a life that defaults towards an holy attentiveness to where God is at work. I want us to take that seriously. I want us daily to take a hundred deep, refreshing, prayer-infused breaths for our soul. I want us daily to take a hundred deep, refreshing, prayer-infused breaths for our soul rather than scrolling aimlessly. Infinite scroll on Facebook is there for a reason. Um, we'll talk more about that in a second. So Piper has this wonderful little book. It's a, an ode to C.S. Lewis called Alive to Wonder. And this is kind of the antithesis of the poem we started off with. And you can get this book for free online. Everything Piper's ever written is free um, via PDF. It says this. Yeah. So he, this is Piper speaking on Lewis. He gave me an intense sense of the realness of things to wake up in the morning and be aware of the firmness of the mattress. Who thinks of that? The warmth of the sun's rays, the sound of the clock ticking, the sheer being of things, quiddity is what Lewis called it, the, the whatness of something. That's what quiddity means, the whatness of something. He helped me become alive to life. And this next sentence is huge. He helped me see what is there in the world, things which if we didn't have, we would pay a million dollars to have. But having them, we ignore. This is a, a, a Selah-oriented life, as I'm using that word, as I'm co-opting that word. Um, there's a great article called I Used to Be a, a Human Being, um, and I think that picture is is powerful. That's the wanderer above the sea of fog, a, a great, great painting. And then, of course, he's there. Rather than glorying in the whatness of it, he's taking a picture of it. But he was never in the vacation, right? 
I had to laugh too when I was preparing. So that psalm, I uh, started off with Psalm 62.1. I, um, I googled it to, to get the, the reference clear, and this is what came up. See that tiny little part there? That's the, in, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. But also, there's a lot of disturbing things. I may have facial spots as well, and I need to get a quicken loan because living in Tennessee, something about that is important. Um, and I just felt like, this is hilarious. This is our world. <laughs> I want to find the verse about waiting on God in silence, and it is, but, but we're so used to it, and it is shriveling our souls. Could it be that so much of the anxiety depression, and prayerlessness that plagues the church is because we default towards screens instead of towards Selah? I believe the answer is yes, um, because it erodes the infrastructure of our humanity. But I believe God is extending to us a better invitation, and I believe it's to be found in what I'm calling a Selah-focused life. So here's how we're going to spend our time this morning. I don't want to just be talking at you, um, so as we go through, please, um, if you have a thought or if something lands, um, feel free to, to interject. Um, but I, I have three kind of sections I want us to work through. Three big questions or thoughts, and they are this. How did the noise get so loud? And then I want us to, together, construct a theology of Selah. What does God have to say about this? And then at the end, how can we practically start rediscovering Selah? What are some actual things we can do today to default more towards Selah than distraction. So number one, how did the noise get so loud? So like any battle, we want to win. The first step is knowing what we're fighting against. And so I want to spend some time um, kind of being a prophet of woe, but looking under the hood at how did this happen? How did the noise get so loud? Um, this book has been hugely helpful for me. It's called Digital Minimalism, Choosing a Focused Life in a Noisy World. Um, this guy's not a believer as far as I know, but this is immensely um, helpful. And I'll be borrowing from him some as we go through this. I, I highly commend this to you. Uh, for him, digital minimalism is a, it's a technical term. It is a, it is a specific philosophy that he has come up with, um, so it's not a vague thing, but he unpacks what, what does that mean practically and gives really helpful steps on following that. And one of the first sections in here is called, We Didn't Sign Up For This. Um, and it talks about how we almost accidentally um, stumbled into this. Now as Christians, we know everything's spiritual, so it's, it's certainly not an accident from the enemy's side. But who remembers the first iPhone keynote speech? Anybody remember seeing that? Who here viewed it? Okay, so a couple of us. Who remembers what the great thing about the iPhone was, according to Steve Jobs? What was the revolutionary thing about the iPhone? Music. That's right. That was the huge thing. Now, your phone is connected to your iPod, so you don't have to carry two devices. There was one other just huge thing. That was, yeah, that's right. That's actually, that might be actually the most important, but I wasn't thinking of that. But yeah, the, the no longer tactile, but interacting with the screen directly. Yeah, I should have thought of that. that. That was the paradigm shifting moment. That, the music, and then one other thing. Anybody remember? Say it again. Front facing camera, and the one that I'm thinking about was virtual voicemail. That you could 
scrub your voicemail. That was like such a huge deal because he really thought, he envisioned it to be a phone. And it turns out Jobs was very, very skeptical um, of apps and letting other people tinker with the iPhone. That, that wasn't his initial vision for it, how it's used today. It was now you have an iPod in your phone and you voicemail's not so clunky. Um, it wasn't until like 30 minutes into the speech that he even talks about texting and um, doesn't even touch on how we use it today. He says in digital minimalism, talking about, about this, these changes crept up on us and happened fast before we had a chance to step back and ask what we really wanted out of the rapid advances of the past decade. We added new technologies to the periphery of our experience for minor reasons. Then we awoke one morning to discover that they had colonized the core of our daily life. We didn't, in other words, sign up for the digital world in which we're currently entrenched. We seem to have stumbled backwards into it. And he talks a lot about how we didn't have an appropriate skepticism, skepticism to technology. Um, C.S. Lewis talks about often how you must read old books because the new ones haven't been vetted yet. You, you don't know if it's new, I mean, if, if it's helpful yet. And that is one of the chief mistakes we've made is just not having a healthy skepticism towards new technology. Just open-armed, armed, embrace everything, and then a decade later figure out if this is actually ruining your soul. Um, one thing he hits on a lot is we have placed a huge premium on very minor conveniences at a massive cost, namely our, our attention span. Now, um, he talks about the Amish in here, which this section is worth, that section alone is worth the price of the book, but how the Amish are often seen as anti-technological relics from history that are just quaint to observe. And he says that that is such a deep misunderstanding of the brilliance of the Amish. What's true about the Amish and not true of us is what they do is they start off first with their deeply held values. So we start with deeply held values, faith, hard work, community. And then they ask the question, how does a proposed technology serve our deeply held value? And so if somebody in the community ha wants a new technology to be introduced, they're not against it. They bring it to the bishop. And if the bishop thinks, okay, this, this is interesting, they will allow a test season, and everybody in the community will observe this. And then afterwards, they will decide, does this serve our deeply held value? If so, you can introduce it. They're actually very brilliant technologically. They're like the best hackers in the world at stuff. They're not scared of cars. What they observed is when people get cars on the weekends, they leave the community and the sick aren't visited and sightseeing becomes more attractive than communing with each other. Um, so it's not that they are scared of cars, they value community and cars go against a deeply held value of theirs. So does that make sense? And, and we just simply, I'm gonna use a lot of alls and wees and nevers and I should, I should never do that. Um, <laughs> But, have grace with me, there'll be a, a lot of hyperbole, but I really don't think it's that far off from hyperbole. We simply haven't done that. And you only have to look at the lines outside of the Apple Store um, before it's even out yet to, to prove this is point, uh, to prove the point. We, we simply do not think in these terms. And as Christians, we ought to. As Christians, we ought to. 
So the real problem, what's the real problem from a Christian worldview? And I would, I would state it like this. The real problem is idolatry that has become an addiction. Idolatry that has become an addiction. What, what is an, an idol? Um, if you, depending on where you're coming from, when you think of the word idolatry, you, you may think of totem poles or bowing b- before literal gods. Um, but I think as Christians, we need to have a more expansive view of idolatry. And, and idolatry can be thought of this way. It's anything in our lives that becomes of greater importance than God. Idolatry is what we are devoted to above God. Idolatry is anything that captivates our attention at the expense of our relationship with God. It's what we turn to to find meaning and satisfaction. It's where we believe life is truly found. I've, I've mentioned before, and I don't say it so much more tongue-in-cheek anymore, um, but the, the Apple logo, you know, the, the bite from the fruit, the access to all the knowledge in the world. We should really spend some time thinking about that. And if we have a liturgy of bracketing our days by reaching for that, um, that's probably worth spending some time thinking about. In the book of 1 John, it's interesting. He says at the very end, this is the very last verse of 1 John, he says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Now, what's interesting about that is that's the only time in 1 John he talks about idols at all. It's the only time the, the word is used. It seems to almost come out of nowhere. Little children, the final word, keep yourselves from idols. But 1 John is perhaps the most relationally focused book in the New Testament about our shared life together with Christ and then with each other. And so it's interesting that where he lands is, in light of everything I've just said, keep yourself from idols. This is the great danger against what's true, good, and beautiful about what I've said in the rest of the letter. And um, we'll read it here in a little bit of more context to unpack this. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God, well, that's even worth stopping. <laughs> we know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Again, this whole book has been on Christian fellowship, first vertically with Christ, with God through Christ, and then horizontally how that flows into Christian fellowship. This is the final word. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So he's warning them. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. So it's a bit of a haunting ending, an almost unexpected ending that, I, that is worth thinking through. So I've I've already said a lot of words. I want to hit pause here. Um, Any thoughts on this? Um, Do you think technological idolatry is a real issue in the church? Am I overblowing this, do you think? I'd be curious just how this lands on you.
Hmm. That's good. Thank you for that. And what's interesting is to relax. Uh, it's a stimulant, right? In, in multiple ways. That's, that's a good insight. Yeah. Any other thoughts? And, and not only becomes an option, but becomes the preferred means. Like it's kind of awkward now to have a phone call because you have to actually think on your feet how to communicate to a human. Um. <laughs> hmm. Wow, I've never thought of that before. Or I don't have to then give myself to others in relationship during that. I can just consume. I'm not anti-podcast, but that's, that's a really thoughtful insight. Or Sunday mornings, instead of going to church, we'll, we'll stream. Now, again, and we'll talk about this, but as Christians, we're not anti-technology. Let, let me state that up front. Um, but we do need to be wise about and ask these questions. Right. Right. And praise God for that. Yeah. That is that is a gift. Yeah. I should have said that up front. I'm I'm certainly not. I'm leaning heavy on the bad because again, I as a pastor and as a father now, I just feel this overwhelming burden about it. But technology is a gift for sure. Yeah, right.
that's my next point. <laughs> that's exactly right. That's exactly right. That's right, right there. Yeah. Right. Right. A fair amount of what? A nefariousness. I like it. Mm-hmm. Based on the culture and what will ping on the radar. Yeah, yeah. His baby. Mama can't find it, it's lost. Mama right. Can't find it, it's sense yeah yeah it makes me think of the time homer simpson said remember that time i took a homemade winemaking course and forgot how to drive right <laughs> Just one thing. Uh, this is being recorded crap um yeah so thank you guys uh for, for that Just, somebody else said that um i want to talk through what it would look like to make a pamphlet for the church on these things so let's i want to put that on on your radar yeah please oh, yeah yeah <laughs> well I think part of the reason, again, the first step to recovering is admitting you have a problem. We, we have been shy to use the language of addiction because there's a lot of, um, that can mean a lot of gritty things, uh, as we know. Um, but one of the accepted um, psychological definitions for addiction is um, a condition in which a person engages in use of a substance or a behavior for which the rewarding effects provide a compelling incentive to repeatedly pursue the behavior, despite detrimental consequences. Um, and I want to talk for a bit about why the addiction is so strong. It's exactly what, what you're talking about. I, I had never heard of this idea of uh, intermittent positive reinforcement. Um, but he, he says something in here. Uh, he says, people often say, say technology is neutral. And I, I've said that before. And he says, I want you to understand that is 
completely untrue because you don't understand the vulnerabilities you have in your brain that brilliant people are trying to exploit. And so you need to understand what's happening when you enter into Facebook. There are 10,000 engineered bear traps to make sure you're stuck. It's not, it's not neutral. <laughs> it is very not neutral. It is the best paid, most brilliant people trying to figure out how to catch you. Um, and there's multiple reasons for this. Christian Wilson, you just messed up my slides. Uh, we're good now. Um, there, th there's m multiple reasons for this. Uh, we don't have time for all of them, but a huge one is what's called intermittent positive reinforcement. So I'm going to read for a couple paragraphs from here. Again, so if you can name it, you can tame it, right? So this is what we're doing. We're understanding, we're being thoughtful about what's really happening. So Tristan Harris was a former startup founder for Google Engineer, and then like him, him like many developers, have gone away to start businesses that are, one was, for instance, called Time Well Spent. They are on the, the um, um, they're ambassadors for sounding the alarm, essentially, to all things digitally dangerous, and he's one of them. He held up the thing on 60 Minutes and said, this thing is a slot machine. Uh, Anderson Cooper said, how is this thing a slot machine? He says, well, every time I check my phone, I am playing the slot machine to see what did I get? Harris answers, there's a whole playbook of techniques that get used by technological companies to get you using the product for as long as possible. Bill Mar, Mar for his part, thought this interview seemed uh, familiar. And he says at the end of one of his shows, um, Philip Morse just wanted your lungs, Mayor concludes, but the App Store wants your soul. Um, then he continues on here. It's hard to exaggerate how much the like button changed the psychology of Facebook use. What had begun as a passive way to track your friends' lives was now deeply interactive and with exactly the sort of unpredictable feedback that motivated Zyler's pigeons. So Zyler did this experiment with pigeons on intermittent positive reinforcement, and they realized that pigeons were more inclined towards things if they weren't sure what was going to come back. So th this is the psych psychological vulnerability that's being exploited. If we know what the feedback is going to be about something, we aren't uh, motivated to go towards it. But that whole pull down and then have that thing there, that is incredibly powerful for us. Um, and he goes on to say, um, will you get likes or hearts or retweets or will it languish with no feedback? The former creates what one Facebook engineer calls bright dings of pseudo pleasure while the latter feels bad. Either way, the outcome is hard to predict, which as the psychology of addiction teaches us, makes the whole activity of posting and checking maddeningly appealing to us. Later on, the notification symbol for Facebook was originally blue to match the palette of the rest of the site, but no one used it, they said. So they changed the color to red, an alarm color, and clicking skyrocketed. So one of the engineers for the like button has left Facebook and has started a, a business on awakening people to the dangers of technology. So I just want us to understand um, what we're facing. Um, there are real techno technology goes into, into the hard wiring of the relational component of what God created in us and exploits specific vulnerabilities. Dopamine is a good God-given gift to connect us in relationship. Dopamine is being exploited now to get you stuck to a screen. And one of the guys from, who helped develop the iPhone said exactly what you said. Facebook's main goal, the question they ask themselves is, how can we get people to stay on the screen as long as possible? So just, just understand that. It's not that you can't use Facebook. 
but you need to be a, a ninja who goes in, gets a, something of high value, maybe a picture of your brother's daughter, and then gets out because there's a, a thousand bear traps. So there's so much more we could say about this, but uh, what time is it? 10.50? I'm just going to read a, a few secular voices even on, on this, the dehumanizing impact of technology. And again, these aren't even Christians to my knowledge, but it's interesting that they seem to have more of a pulse on anthropology, the, the, the study of the human being, and they don't even have a category for the Imago Dei, right? So how much more as Christians should we be in the know? Oh, yeah, I wanted to show you this too. If you think, don't think it's an issue, there's a company in the UK that has developed a toilet with a 15-degree slant because people spend so much time on the bathroom in work now truly, that it is a huge issue. So after five minutes on that, your legs start to cramp. And it's ways that, now there's been this whole backlash to it, but this is the logical conclusion of people go and they're there for 20 minutes because they're on their phones. And it is a big issue for productivity and for profits. So I just thought that's interesting. This is uh, Sherry Turkle. She um, is a professor at MIT and she spent it, the first half of her career there developing robots. And then she became one of the leading voices for advocating for human-to-human -human, uh, contact. And she said this, Technology promises to let us do anything from anywhere with anyone. But it also drains us as we try to do everything everywhere. We begin to feel overwhelmed and depleted by the lives technology makes possible. We may be free to work from anywhere, but we are also prone to being lonely everywhere. In a surprising twist, relentless connection leads to a new solitude. We turn to new technology to fill the void, but as technology ramps up, our emotional lives ramp down. And then this is from, this is from a gal named Maggie Jackson. This book is called Distracted, The Erosion of Attention in the Coming Dark Age. The seduction of the alternative virtual universes, the addictive alluring of multitasking, people and things, our near religious allegiance to a constant state of motion, these are markers of a land of distraction in which our old conceptions of time, space, and place have been shattered. This is why we are less and less able to see, hear, and comprehend what's relevant and permanent. Am I already past it? Hold, please. Why so many of us feel that we can barely keep our heads above water and our days are marked by perpetual loose ends. What's more, the waning of our powers of attention is occurring at such a rate and in so many areas of life that the erosion is reaching critical mass. We are on the verge of losing our capacity as a society for deep, sustained focus. Now, the, the truth is we could spend all day talking about the psychological and physiological reasons we are addicted, but as Christians, we, we know that the real battle is a spiritual battle. We are people of the book. So would it not be that the enemy would want to render us unable to read the book? We can't read one page without feeling drawn to our technology. And uh, do I have it here? I don't. Ephesians 6.13, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. 
So as I've already mentioned, as Christians, we are not anti-technology. One of the creation mandates was to subdue and cultivate the land. That necessitates technology. Um, as Christians, we're called to wisdom with technology. To start first with, what is my creation mandate? What do I value? What does it mean to be made in the image of God as a relational being? Now, how does technology serve that end? That's what wisdom requires here. Okay, I want to go to our next section now. You guys want a five-minute break? That was a lot. Use the restroom, get some coffee. Anybody need that or are we good? Okay, cool. We'll keep going then. So in order to rediscover Selah, we must believe that it's good, true, and beautiful. That is, it is good for our souls when we don't default towards distraction, but rather towards Selah. And so what I want us to do now is to go through some texts that, that is God speaking to us on how he is to be found, on where life is to be found. And I want us to just read these together and then take away principles in real time from them. I wanted to have a whiteboard, but I don't. So let's do that now. I, I don't have a lot hashed out here that I want to speak at you. I want us to, to be in this together. So we'll read a text and then we'll just observe what do we learn about God and about Selah from this text, about what it means to be human from this text. So who wants to start off with Genesis 2, 2 for 3, 2 through 3? I'd love to have some volunteers for reading. Okay, you got it? Great. And then if somebody will have the Exodus one prepared, because that kind of goes with the Genesis one. Okay, so what do we learn in this text? What's a principle in this text? There's work and there's rest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they're both good, work, work and rest. Resting is blessed and holy. I like that, resting is holy even, yeah. So not, not, not a suggestion. It is a, a sacred, holy thing that is set apart. Hmm. That's good. Any other thoughts there? Okay. So there was a moment of it was enough for this week. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, I think one way to think about it is the liturgy of weekly Sabbath was knit into the fabric of creation. It was, it, it was a holy part of it, work and rest. From the very, be this is pre-fall, from the very beginning, if you want to flourish in the world God created, you do well to cut with the grain of how he created it. It's knit into the fabric of the thing. Right. Did, did somebody grab the Exodus text? I have it. Okay. It says in verse 12, And the Lord 
What do we learn in that text? He takes it seriously. Why? There's something, please. Hmm. Mm hmm. It's interesting in there that it says, well, how does it say, Laura? Uh, is it above all or most importantly? Okay, so consider this. Six, over 600 commandments God has given, above all of them. So sometimes as Christians, we think we're New Testament people. I guess that's for somebody, but that doesn't apply. There is a principle here. Above everything that I've said, keep my Sabbath. And I'm thinking about this in real time, but I wonder if part of it is. The reason is because you are my people, and I know you won't be my people. You won't seek me out. You won't find me um, if you don't institute this. You will just get swallowed up in life, perhaps. Yeah, please. So that almost goes, I think, with why it's holy. It is acknowledging that God is God. I'm really not that important. And that is gloriously freeing. <laughs> really not that important. God doesn't, nobody serves the Lord. We serve in the strength that God supplied. If I was hungry, I wouldn't tell you. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I don't need you. I dignify you by allowing me to participate in my work. Yeah, that's good. I think I, I'm really struck by the end of verse 14 where it says, whoever does any work on that day must be cut off from his people. Mm. I think there is something really profound about uh, when we choose to invest a Sabbath, it's not only investing ourselves, but we're living in community and I'm counting to myself like I can just, a coworker can either work It's almost like being adamantly anti-working on Sunday and then going out to eat after church. Um, I've always felt such a tension there. It's like, well, they're having to work. There. That's a whole other conversation. Yeah. 
Right. <laughs> right. And all, all you have to do to fulfill this law is don't do anything. Trust. Right. Show up. Mm. Yeah, and I even think of Jesus' words when the Pharisees were trying to stick him for working. He said, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Like, do you not see the kindness of God here? Like, he knows how you will flourish. Trust, trust him. Genesis 3.8. Who wants to read that? Who's got it? Yeah, please. So, um, Typically, we focus on the back half of this verse, which is sad because the first part is really sweet. And I want to focus on the first part here uh, especially. Thank you for that, for that reading. What, do we, what insight might we have about the beginning of this verse? It's a weird way to ask that question, but... I love that verse. What do you love about it? This is pre-fall, in a sense, or pre-acknowledgement of fall. So it's not like something peculiar was happening here. And I love how you noticed the word cool. It didn't have to say that. I, I just, I, well, I think it's there for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
invitation. I'm here. It's pleasant. I'm going to throw this out there. I've always had this idea, but I want somebody to take the idea of yoga, but call it Selah, and have a breathing, stretching. So that's, you can have that. Just go create a whole world. But we need that. Anyways. <laughs> yeah. really well said. I think one thing that stuck out to me about this, and I, I don't, so a, a danger in just grabbing verses is that you put it through the grid that you want, and then all of a sudden it has all these amazing insights that happen to say exactly what you wanted to say. So keep me on the rails here. I, I'm aware of that temptation. Um, but we just saw a weekly Sabbath built in and, and I wonder if this is a daily Sabbath built in or just a daily rest a, in the cool of the day. Like it was a good thing to go for a walk. That is one way that the man and woman connected with the Lord daily. Again, I don't want to say that this is the clear principle, but maybe it is. May, this didn't seem like a bizarre thing that he was doing. Maybe this is what they did. In the cool of the day, they would connect and they would go for a walk. You could hear him. Um, so perhaps we can draw a principle from that. Weekly Sabbaths are good, but so also daily proverbial or literal walks in the cool of the day is good as well. Psalm 46. Psalm 46. Let's see how long this is. This is the famous Be Still and Know That I'm God, but I want to read the whole thing because it is so much more glorious in context. It's the whole texture of the thing is remarkably different. You, you won't see a guy in the, what's that position called, the whatever position? The providence position, that's right. It's, it's, unless there's Armageddon raging in her mind there. Um, but yeah, um, any brave soul want to read all, 40, or all 11 <laughs> verses of 46? Um, and, and again, with, with this in mind, especially when we get to the be still and know that I am God, what is he acknowledging about God? So this is one way that I want us to be thinking about this. Anybody want to read that? Okay. God is a refuge and strength, the very presence of his soul. Therefore, therefore, they will not fear, though the earth be changed, though the mountains be shaken by its fruit. Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling sound. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Mm.
Yeah. <laughs> How dare you, Tim? No, well read. Thank you so much. Mm. So maybe that's a good way to approach this. Be still and know that I am God. Um, first, we have to be still. But what are, we, what are we knowing about God? Because I would say that this verse, this psalm, is a prescription for mental health. At least part of a prescription. What are we knowing about God in this? This isn't a vague, just go sit in a forest and hum. I'm not against that. But that's not what this is. <laughs> what are we knowing about God? He's a refuge in strength. Is that helpful? He's a place of peace in the midst of total calamity. Who caused the mountains to go into the sea? God did. So what else do we learn about God then? He's sovereign. I would say that that is the big E on the I chart of this. Be still and recognize that I am in total sovereign control over the entire world. Be still and know that. Right. 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 And that's where we need the gospel. That wouldn't be good news <laughs> that he causes desolations if he's not on my side. And it starts off there, we know, because of Christ. All of this is yes and amen for us. This, this sovereign, powerful God is on our side and will work for those who wait for him. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty important part. He has brought desolations on the earth, and he makes war cease to the end of the earth. He's sovereign over all of it. What's one of the great challenges of our time? Anxiety disorders. Therefore, we will not fear when the earth gives way. That's, that's mental health. It's helpful. Hmm. What other thoughts on this? Or perhaps, it, can we draw a, a, a principle from this? Mm-hmm. But I can't even rest in this, knowing that God is sovereign, and that my eyesight isn't what it is. 
Right. think that is so well said. So we're feeling anxiety, we're feeling anxious, partly because we're overstimulated, partly because life is really hard. And we have children, and we have aging parents, and life is hard. Um, I feel anxious, so I grab my phone to it just numb myself for a little bit. I come back, look, it's still, all that's still waiting. <laughs> it's patient. It's like, that's cute. You go there for a while, I'll be right here when you come back. Or... What if we default towards be still and know that God is in sovereign control everything and he's good and he's for me. He created my parents. He created my kids. He created me. Christ has already accomplished the final victory. So I don't fight a losing battle. I mean, that's, yeah, right? And we're, we're, Hmm. Have to surrender. Have to surrender. Yeah. Yes. 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 And and what I like about the word surrender is it's vigilant and active because we don't drift towards this. In that moment. Feeling fearful, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to sur surrender my ability to take control of this and to either just fret or to numb myself, but I'm going to surrender rather to God. This is an act of the will that by God's grace in time will become more of a de default. Right? Huh? Yes, yes, that's the battle. Hmm. It is actively working against the perspective right. that we know to be true, that God is in control of each and every one of us. Right, right. Just dispel the myth of neutrality. This is not a neutral act. This is an attempt um, to find salvation in a, in a, in a way. Or that I'm, I'm praying right now and that notification was random as if the enemy wouldn't know exactly what that does to me, like Pavlov's dog, right? That's why we do, do not disturb when we pray, right? We, we do that. Um, yeah, the, 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 there is a real battle happening. And so expect this to be 
war. <laughs> and uh, distraction isn't a- accidental. Um, Jesus told us, told his disciples, to, to stay awake, right? To, to stay awake until the master comes. And I, I don't think this is, this is what he meant by that. Um, that's, that's how we stay awake now, maybe. That's a pretty bad joke. But I thought that picture was powerful. Right. Mm. Right. And what is the name of that city? Jerusalem. What does Jerusalem mean? Something of peace. That was my answer, too. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Gladness. <laughs> I love that. I love that verse. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Like God is more for our joy than we are. We just love cotton candy. I do, right? But God wants us to be a glad-hearted, deeply glad-hearted, mature souls who can enjoy him forever. That's good. This is something interesting I found in preparing for this. Does anybody know what, what the Latin root for noise is? Or the, the original word, the etymology, where we get noise from? Twitter. Twitter. Yes, that's, that's right. <laughs> it was actually cheap back then. It's, a, it's nausea. Sickness. That's interesting. And so this perpetual noise, it, it keeps us sick. It keeps, keeps our souls sick. <laughs> um, but also another thing that's different from when I was a kid is that the whole started to affect me thoughts and realize that my kids were going from um, like not sleeping at night and taking forever to go to bed and their grades were just losing their will and they didn't want to read and they didn't want to watch cartoons. Um, seeing the difference with that now just like a couple of weeks into it and seeing their wanting to go to bed. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was funny too. I was, we did about t 10 days of a screen freeze and I was mentioning it to somebody who came to visit and he just immediately said, oh, so you're doing the dopamine reset for him. And I was like, wow, that's right. <laughs> and that is, that, that is kind parenting um, to not let the, uh, the patients have the run of the asylum because they don't know what they need, right? <laughs> yeah. And two, as something huge, huge, huge you just hit on. It's not until, and do I have the, technical scientific name for this. I cut out a whole section, so probably not. But um, it's funny how science keeps coming up with these like really clever names for what the Bible clearly teaches. Um, so essentially, they had this big, clever name for when you aren't taking in, intaking in more information, and then your mind goes into this technical term of something-something mode. It's like, oh, yeah, like everything the Bible has said for thousands of years, like, be still, <laughs> um, and then it'll be helpful. Because uh, it's, it's, it's when you're constantly intaking that you can't attend to the deep stuff, right? Like that, that won't come up to the surface if you're constantly pushing it down with other stuff. And so you do a, a mental fast and oh, you cry more. And then you get happy afterwards. Or glad is probably a better word. Because you've honored your humanity and God has given us grief as a gift um, to process hard things. And the only way out is through. But when we're constantly intaking, we simply can't attend to that. This is what I mean by um, under, uh, eroding the infrastructure of our humanity. Like that's another humbling built in. Yeah. That's not a design flaw. Right. That's a humbling design. Mm -hmm. But how even all of this is an assault on that as well. We, we don't sleep as well. Yeah. Yeah. And again, one of the reasons why I'm taking this approach is because we're, we're Christians and we don't just try hard to not do the bad stuff. Right? We look at God and know that he is the most beautiful treasure imaginable. He is the consolation of our souls. He desires to make us glad for eternity, um, and we want to go towards that. So. Absolutely, yeah. Right, right, no, totally. Um, I, th I think what I mean, I wasn't super clear with that, is this is why we're starting here. Let's, let's get a vision for God, and then let's get real practical. So how do we, knowing we're liturgical creatures who have to undo an addiction, what does wisdom require there? 
Yeah, well said, well said. Right, so what are you going to fill that vacuum with? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we'll get there perhaps. <laughs> Maybe that'll be next session. Um, man, you weren't lying. I was like, I don't know if I could fill two hours, and we're, we've got a lot to do. Um, Genesis 24, 15 through 21. I love this one. Genesis 24, 15 through 21. Okay. So well read. So some context. Abraham is nearing death. He wants to get a wife for his son Isaac. So he sends a servant and says, um, this is how you'll know she's the one um, if she waters your, your camels. Um, so what, in line of everything we're talking about here, is, is there a part or a verse in this that stuck out to you? Hint, hint, it's the last verse. <laughs> yeah. Like, get yourself in this moment. Like, he's observing this. Now, I'm thinking, if he had a, a, an iPhone, <laughs> he probably would have took a picture or a video of it and texted it to Abraham. Like, is this what you think? Right? <laughs> is, this, is this the one? But I, I love the language here. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. That's a beautiful moment. Talk about a holy attentiveness. What's a principle you think we can draw from that? So that, and no, yeah. We got Google, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
<laughs> hey God, right. Sure. Wow. That's a powerful thought. How often do we say, hey, Siri, rather than pray? <laughs> How often do we pray to Siri more than God? Right. Um, I, please. <laughs> Siri, is this one? <laughs> it's not part of my operating system. I'm sorry. You've been reported to the authorities. Um, I'm just so struck that the man gazed at her in silence. Like, how often do we do that? Like, really, no distraction. Our laser focus and attentive to where is God at work here? I, I think one of the principles, and we've, we've hit on it, purposed silence allows us to discern the will of God more clearly. Gazed at her in silence. He wanted to make sure, is this what the Lord was doing? It took a holy attentiveness, an undistracted moment. I think we'll skip over Isaiah and 1 Kings. If you want to note those down, you can attend to those on, on your own time. But for the sake of time, um, let's go to Luke. Luke 5, 15 through 16. Somebody want to read that for us? So what principle do we learn here? Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Yeah, Here, like you're saying, it, in the ESV, it says, and even more. So this is a ramping up of ministry opportunity. So this is, well, of course I can't take this time off. There's, there's real harvest here, right? Somebody was going to say something. Yeah. Yeah. I have so much to do. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. We slept in the front of the boat. I mean, there's just countless things that, you know, show that
And we know, oh, please. And and somewhere, uh, I don't know if it's Marcus, Mark's account, I'm not sure, but Peter does say, don't you realize <laughs> all the people are here? <laughs> so we do see the juxtaposition, right? Um, the default to work according to the flesh rather than according to the spirit. And I think even as Christians, this is part of the way, I know as Christians, this is part of the, the battle and the trust factor. W- will I work according to the flesh or uh, with, the, with the power of the flesh or the power of the spirits? Um, will I trust that when I honor this idea of Selah or Sabbath, that Christ will pour out more strength in me? Um, yeah, so my work will even be better. teaching toxic things to the, the congregation. Um, so funny. Even the drive here this morning, um, I was thinking, man, I wonder if I could just l- listen to another talk on the way. I wonder what talk I should listen to on technology. And I was like, or you could just pray. <laughs> like, I mean, we just don't escape this battle. It's, it is ridiculous. Um, thinking of the absurdity of how my default is to want to take a picture of everything 
in the midst of creating this and go outside and see this the, something beautiful and immediately it's like oh i'm so i'm so in the matrix um but the spirit's with us um okay for the sake of time let's um i'd like for us to take 10 minutes and ask the question practically how can we become a people or even make this personal how can i become a person who defaults towards Selah and away from distraction. And so I want you to think practical. Maybe that looks like putting out your devices, like putting iPhone and computer and Apple Watch or whatever. Um, maybe that will be a way to, to think through this. One, like, so for instance, one thing that I've done the last probably week and a half is I've taken Safari and mail off my phone, which felt like such a big thing to do. And it turns out that there's no email that can't wait four hours. Wow. Um, and I'm not, it has been fantastic. And it's amazing how often I go to Google something and it's just noise. Like it turns out while I'm driving, I don't need to find out what Ben Sass said about Nancy Pelosi ripping the speech. <laughs> like I was able to make it to where I was going without that information. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. I, I don't think he said anything, which, which means I had to up my own thought. Dang it. Now what am I supposed to think, Sass? You have to talk. Mm, that's good. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> I love that. Well, it has been a good, uh, just put a highlighter because every time I go to reach, I realize it's not there. And then I'm like, what was I trying to Google? I, I just want, I fill my life with noise and it's not helpful, and it has been such a gift to not have Safari or email on my phone for the past 10 days. Um, I guess this was my attempt to get rid of my hypocrisy before the talk, right? Um, let's, let's take uh, 10 minutes of, of quiet and uh, think through that. Um, what does obedience look like in light of, in light of these things? Um, so Holy Spirit, even, even now, help us. Help us in our weakness. You have said that, that Christ's power is put on more glorious display when we um, feel our weakness. And so I, I pray for my friends. I pray for myself. I, I pray that, that you would help us. What does it look like to have a well-ordered life that, that honors the invitation to Selah? In Christ's name. Okay. Well, do we have just a few minutes left, so... If you'd like to share maybe a thought or two that you had or something that you feel like you can add or take away from your life or whatever, I'd love to hear it. Say it again. Hmm. Go to this eternal scroll, not yeah, the eternal. Exactly. Right. <laughs> that was a good time. 
That was pretty good. My, my dad, it, it is amazing when you become a dad, they just, they're there. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's for sure. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. been big for us. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Can you believe you can still buy alarm clocks? Isn't that crazy? <laughs> Nathan? <laughs> but I, I think that hits a really important point because I, we make excuses for keeping things that really are kind of ridiculous. Well, I use my phone to wake up. They're $5. I mean, you, can, you can get a, an analog alarm, right? That's good.
simple thing is how to reorient who God made us. Right. You know? They honor your humanity. Yeah. yeah. And um, so I've, I've implemented a lot of those things in my life, learning, relearning things, relearning how to talk to Rubik's Cube, relearning mm. pieces on the piano that I knew when I was a kid, and, you know, just taking those moments that, oh, let me go see that little piece on the piano instead of going to the technology. Um, and hopefully, trying to model that for the piano as well. That's right. Whether an act of faith. And I, and I appreciate what you're doing, because I do that somewhat with the children, but ultimately it has to be a heart mm-hmm. condition that, you know, we're, we're going to just have to trust the Lord's strength empowering me to be like, I'm good with the phone sitting in the house while I'm in the garage. Right. Right. Or when I'm out in the yard or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've done a lot of those things too, just like, oh, I got, you know, I, the only text that comes through on my phone is from my family. That's the only thing I get. Well, obviously, this is very much just the starting point. Um, thank you guys for this space. Um, I was really anxious about this morning. I don't know why. I just really was. I asked our 15-year-old, would you pray for me? I feel anxious. Um, and that was sweet. Um, I would really encourage you to take this seriously and things that came to your mind, see them as opportunities for repentance and obedience. We're not just trying to get good habits. We're Christians, and repentance is a gift. Uh, Paul says anything that you decide to do to honor the Lord, if you don't do it for them, that's sin. Um, And it's because God wants us to be happy. (laughs) There is a river who makes glad the city of God. Our kids are counting on us. It's crazy that there aren't, there's warning labels on cigarettes and not on iPhones. Crazy. Um, Let's get serious about this. Um, Let's partner with the Spirit and become a peculiar people. God's greatest concern for his people, Israel, was that they would think, and I got this from that guy, that they would think that they could be Canaanite Jews, that they look so much like the culture around them, but think that they were still honoring the Lord. And we should look so, we should be be Little House on the Prairie compared to the world. I remember one of our daughters saying, I just feel like we live in the 18th century around here. And I'm like, that's the greatest compliment you could have ever given me. So seriously, think through what does it look like to honor the Lord here? We need to really challenge some assumptions. One is the ubiquity of the internet in our home. That ought not be. We're not there yet. I mean, so we're shoulder to shoulder figuring this out. The circle is 100 bucks, and you take charge over your technology. Let's just say Wi-Fi goes to bed at 7 o'clock in this house. That's just how it works around here. Let's no longer have ubiquity of technology. Let's just get clever. Um, One practical thing, he recommends something called a a digital detox in here, and he kind of spells it out. It's a 30-day thing. It's really helpful, um, so you can Google that, what that is. Um, But yeah, let's, let's let this be, may our grandkids rejoice because we were here today. Um, Let me pray. Lord, thank you for this space. This, this has been a, a gift to, to gather around and to look each other in the eyes. Thank you for the gift of our humanity. I mean, we, we were created in the image of God. 
give us a, a holy wonder at that. Make us very skeptical of things that could erode that. May we honor, honor that. And Lord, even now, I, I feel so grateful that, that you're kinder with us and we are with ourselves. We beat ourselves up. And I pray for my friends that we would really hear the voice of Jesus when we fail and when we are tempted towards distraction. He doesn't finger wag and say, you idiot. What he says is, come to me. You feel heavy feel tired and overworked, come to me and I will give you rest. I desire a, a light burden for you. So Christ, thank you for your kindness and your sweetness and, and your meekness towards us. And help us in Christ's name. Amen.